Welcome back to Creative Blessings with Father Nico Bakri and Chris Kasakis. And today we'll be talking about Star Wars, specifically the Jedi. Welcome back, Father. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Thanks again. So, how shall we delve into this topic? Why don't you start? Well, how are you doing, first of all? Well, I'm doing fine. Yeah, hanging in there. How about you? A little under the weather, you know, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, because the, the, the very chilly California winter of 70 degrees over here is uh, really good. <laughs> Well, we're not too far behind. We've been in the 50s and 60s even. So that's very odd for us, you know. By now we'd have heaps of snow on the ground. So. Yeah. Looks like I mean, I remember in Boston, winter lasted from late October to like April practically. Yeah. Looks like we're bypassing uh, the heavy snows. We'll see. You okay. never know. It can sneak in in March. We'll see. I love the snow. I got to tell you, man. I California is great. And I know that I'm going to sound weird when I say this, but I do miss waking up in the morning once in a while and looking outside your house and seeing snow everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. But uh, anyway, it's a kind of a kind of a dream. Shoveling is not fun. <laughs> Shoveling is not fun. Nor nor is putting salt on the ground. No. But uh, if my if my kids want to see it, they they're going to have to we're going to have to take them up to the mountains or something. Yeah. Anyway, so you were, uh, you told me one time that you were, growing up, you were a big Star Wars fan, or, and your brother uh, was? I am, yes. I was seven years old. I think I probably, when I saw it, had just turned seven in the summer of 77. It had been out for a while. My brother had already seen it two or three times, and my mom said, well, is it appropriate for Chris, you know, uh, and uh, we went to see it as a family, and I remember that day very distinctly going to the local theater and we went up into the balcony and everybody was pretty much seated already and we got the very front row where the chrome bar was so I had to sit on my brother's lap because I would have seen this bar throughout the entire uh, movie but I I remember him reading the intro to me because I didn't know all the words and I just remember being mesmerized by the whole thing and then you think back like as a child of seven years old, you know, like, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope as she bends. So I, the, the whole movie, I'm thinking the droid's called Obi-Wan because, you know, <laughs> she's talking to... <laughs> so there's things, you know, that just didn't line up. But just the... the there was nothing like it. You know, it was, it was so unique. Um, you know, people were walking out of there in silence. Like, they were shocked. Like, what did I just see? You know, so uh, I just remember coming home, talking to my friends who had seen it already... Then we were waiting for the toys to come out. Um, just wanted to go back and see it as many times as we could. Of course, I, I don't think I, that happened at 7. And then they did the re-releases, and then Empire came out in 81. I was 10. So uh, that was even more of an excitement, because then you already knew you were, you were anticipating the next one. So uh, And that was much more intense, I think. The, the first one's always been fun, and that's the original to me, and... You know, that's what started it all. Uh, but then, you know, when I remember turning to my brother, you know, who took me, he was 18 or 19 at the time. And when he you know, he said, I am your father, I turned to like with this, I just dropped my jaw. You know, like I couldn't believe, you know, the turn in that uh, that story. So, yeah, uh, it, it's it's something like I think you have to have lived it to, to know that kind of magic back then without all the... CGI and other inundation of other movies. It, it, you know, there were other movies that kind of started the the look and feel, like 2001, but nothing ever action-related. Um, 
other than the TV shows and the cheese ball movies that had been before that. So it really was ahead of its time. Sure. Do you have a, do you have a favorite one? Well, Star Wars will always be my favorite, and then Empire, and then Jedi. Um, that the, the original trilogy, nothing has come up to it for me other than I th- actually feel that Rogue One and Solo, to me, are the closest that capture, uh, and maybe it's the nostalgia in me because they're going back, reflecting on the, the first three. The prequels, um, when they came out, I was excited for it to come out, but I always kind of felt when I came out of the movie, except Attack of the Clones, I thought that was a little more cohesive. I felt a little deflated. Um, I felt there was just too much going on. It didn't have the humor of Harrison Ford in it. Uh, the Jar Jar Binks thing I never cared for. Um, and then the new ones I liked to a point, but I still just it didn't grab me. Uh, this last one I thought was a little better, and they wrapped it up okay uh, as best they could. But I think they were all over the place with the story, and uh, I, I don't know what they were trying to achieve. I think Disney just didn't quite have a vision, or the vision changed. And I think remnants of a story were there from The Force Awakens into Jedi, and then they changed route midway. So I think they were kind of disjointed. So the first three, to me, will always be my favorite thus far. And I love The Mandalorian, the TV show. I think that is really well done, well thought out, good story writing. It's like an old spaghetti western uh, set to Star Wars. Well, the uh, the original was, I mean, Luke has even said the main influence for the first Star Wars was the Western. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, you know, um, I love those movies, too. I saw them a little bit later. Um, I was born in 81, so I was, I was born between Empire and Jedi, if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw them when they were, like, you know, being re-released on VHS, like, in the 90s, I'm going to say. Yeah. So by that point, I'd already grown up in like everything that had been inspired by it. So it didn't look quite as original, but even I could tell the brilliance of it, and I really enjoyed them. Um, so I'm going to correct you for a second. I know that this is going to, you know, you're the Star Wars fan. Um, I mean, the bigger Star Wars fan of the two of us. But Empire actually came out in '80, and one of the reasons I wanted to do uh, you're this. Right, episode, you're right. I was right. '83 was Jedi, so yeah, I needed that the two and a half, three years. <laughs> Yeah. It might have lasted into 81, though. Who knows? But, you know what um, I'm thinking? I'm thinking of the time I went to see Indiana Jones. I think that was 81. They were. It was just like back-to-back Harrison Ford all, all those years. <laughs> those were epic. Yeah. Those were epic years. So anyway, so this year is actually the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, um, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. 1980 to 2020. You just told them <laughs> my age, which I'll be 50 this year. <laughs> Well, you are. God bless you, pal. Not yet. July. I, I'm 49. I'm holding on to that 40. <laughs> you? Man, and I turned I turned 38 and just got glasses, and I feel old. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, wait till you get to 40. It's all all down now. No. Ah, it's yeah. cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so I got to say, uh, at first when I saw Empire Strikes Back, you know, when I was younger, I... I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I mean, it's just like they're just running around and being chased. I mean, like, what's the point? You know, at least in the first one and the third one, there was an objective that they had to they had to destroy something or they had to beat somebody. In the second one, I didn't really understand as a kid that it was meant to be this kind of character piece. And as the years have gone on, I got to tell you, I I think Empire Strikes Back is probably my favorite. Um, and by the time I got to seminary. 
um, you know, let, let me tell you, man, uh, seminary was not easy. So if I may segue into the faith portion of this podcast. So seminary was not easy. I mean, we had chapel twice a day. We had classes throughout the day. Um, there were obligations even in the evenings a lot of times. You know, you had field education, you know, your last three years, which means that um, your first year you're assigned to a parish, your second year you're assigned to a hospital, and the third year you have a choice. I chose to shadow a priest, you know, three days a week, uh, which was really wonderful. Uh, Father Ted Barbas, um, shout out. Uh, if anybody's in the metropolis of Boston and knows him, he's a great guy. I was with him for three days out of the week my last year. So you're constantly on the go. Um, you know, they're trying to just cram in as much education in those four years as possible. And there are plenty of times where you're just like at the end of your rope and, and just feeling burnt out, um, very much uh, feeling like you're just exhausted mentally, emotionally fatigued. I mean, it's it's really, really, um, you know, it, it is very, very challenging as it should be, right? It was like it was like Orthodox boot camp in a way, um, <clears throat> even though it was a lot of fun too, don't get me wrong. I, and I enjoyed my classes and everything I learned, my friends. Um, but... So as I mentioned in the last episode, kind of the the personal experience of you know the faith journey being compared to different stories that we like, and in the, in the last episode's case, Green Lantern, and you know the the seminary equating to that. Um, <clears throat> anytime or not anytime, but there were several times when I was at seminary where I'm like, man, this is very challenging. This is so hard. But hey, even Luke had to go to Dagobah. <laughs> okay, so. The, the, the training that, um, you know, the whole point of the original trilogy, of course, is that Luke Skywalker is the central character. And I really identified with his journey um, in those movies um, while I was at seminary. I, and I think that not only is it something applicable to seminary in terms of The Empire Strikes Back was the one where he was training and when he met Yoda and when he was being put through the ropes, um, learning the ropes, rather, he was, put, he was being put um, through his uh, paces, so to speak. The exercises, the exhaustion, the, the training, the mental, the spiritual, all that stuff, um, just I- incredible metaphors in there for uh, the Christian journey. And so I think that that story, you know, that that moment in the in the second movie of being trained and going towards something is something that's applicable to definitely to to me as a seminarian. And it was applicable to any priest, I think. But it's also applicable, I think, to any um, Christian, because we go through this journey and, you know, we have days that it feels exhausting, days that it feels very difficult. Um, but in reality, it's it's part of the process. And, you know, now uh, by the time this episode airs, we'll probably be um, uh, in the middle of Great Lent. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, we're about 10 days away uh, from when we're recording it. But um, I think that there's a lot of um, messages in uh, that concept and in the Christian journey during Lent that we can look at, you know, in, uh, you know, in uh, on Dagobah, uh, the you know the planet that Yoda's on and uh, see some parallels there. So um, I just think it's uh, it's something that resonated with me and I and I really really loved it. I loved the movie anyway, but I've often looked at that those moments in the movie and just gone, man, that's just really really good. Did Lucas like intentionally make this to be like a spiritual thing? I mean, I don't even know. Anyway, it was just really cool. I thought and very applicable to us. Yeah, well, I think I think Lucas did. I think I've seen him in interviews saying you know that. You know, uh, this originally the character is supposed to be like this little gnome, this with a white beard, kind of like a miniature Santa Claus. Then he got more into the idea of Jedi as a religion, and um, I think you know he took kind of elements of Dune or the the sisterhood of the Bene Gesserit and kind of transformed it into this um, 
group of peacekeepers, you know, and that their, their religion is one thing. And also, if we explore further into the movies, like, so like Rogue One, you learn there's a whole planet where there, there, you know, there was a Jedi presence and there was the temple and there were force users who were not just Jedi. I mean, they were strong with the force. So it's kind of like, I, I use them akin to, um, and a Christian, you know, they're, everybody's saying, may the force be with you, or the force is one with me, I am one with the force. Um, so even though they may not be Jedi, and or the priestly role, they are the common lay people that believe in the force and what the force represents. What did you say about the... Um about the, the the cave that Yoda was in, uh, that where he sends Luke in. Yeah, there's uh, a backstory. Um, I don't remember the name of the Sith, but a Sith Lord had died there, and this is why Yoda went to Dagobah because the the uh, essence or spirit of the Sith would have clouded out uh, his good essence or whatever to be picked up by other Jedi, you know, to, you know, they say, I sense the presence of a Jedi. Uh, so Order 66 had already happened. Uh, the Jedi were scourged, you know, with the help of Darth Vader, former Anakin Skywalker. So he retreated to Dagobah because there was an evil presence there, this apparition that lived in the cave. So in Empire, you actually see a hint of it where um, Luke gets up from training, puts his belt on, he says, I feel cold. And he looks and he sees like this entranceway with weeds and vines. And he says, what is that? And he goes, what is in there? And he goes, whatever you take with you is a place of evil, is the original line, I believe. And uh, and then when he goes to walk uh, and he starts to put on his gun belt, Yoda says, your weapons, you will not need them. And Luke looked back and didn't trust him. And he put his gun belt on anyway. And that's where you see the whole scenario of him meeting up with Darth Vader, quick little lightsaber battle and the mask blows off and he sees himself. So it's kind of a foreshadowing of that, you know, he is of that um, background of, you know, we didn't know then, but we know that it's kind of saying that he is an, he is a Skywalker as well, his father, you know, that he's seeing an image of himself. So I thought that was interesting where Yoda would have picked that because he could over, he could use that, spirit essence to cloud out outside influence, yet he's still there training the Jedi using the light side of the Force. So even with that influence of darkness around him, he still persisted that, you know, Luke was their next hope. Yeah, you know, I always thought that scene was a little bit, I, I, I never thought of it that way, although the way you described it makes perfect sense, but I always thought that the reason he sees his face in Darth Vader's mask in the tree um, was because it was like a warning of what he might possibly become if he wasn't careful. Um, and that just goes back to the whole why we train kind of thing. you know. And by the way, um, it's so perfect that it says it's cold because um, I've even talked to priests that when they're doing you know, house blessings and stuff and um, you know, people have been complaining about something similar you know, uh, in, their, in their house or something, they often describe cold as one of the feelings of when they, when they get close to evil. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, so. <clears throat> lots of the saints in the church actually even talk about how they emphasize how the world that we live in today is one of training. They talk about it as a battlefield. They talk about it as how we are soldiers, and one day we will go home. 
But right now we are here and we are we are meant to struggle. You know, right. um, I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book called The Spiritual Meadow, and uh, it's actually a collection of kind of monastic stories and sayings from like the fifth and sixth century uh, in the Christian Middle East, and it's really interesting. But there's so many monks that when you know these travelers are encountering them, talk about how like what we're doing is training. You know, they they use that word quite often. We are struggling. We are exercising. Um, you know, <clears throat> the 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 word asceticism even comes from ascesis, which means exercise. Um, this this life they emphasize, and this is kind of a monastic tenet. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, they say this life is one of training because you know, excuse me, we'll rest in the next one in the next life. But here is where we have to struggle. Here is where we have to kind of grow and to become, you know, that which God wants us to be. Um, there's some birds who are... Yes, uh, I have birds outside my window who's chiming in here. So, yeah, it's a nice... Well, they conversation. They, they clearly a, agree with what the priest is saying. I was going to say that it's, it's a message. They're, they're agreeing. <laughs> anyway. If you want to hear... Yeah, can I diverge real quick? i just tell you, because of this, it just brought to mind. Um, it turns out our, our parish um, had just gone through renovation and we always had these birds stuck up in the dome. You'd see them flying in and out all the time. There was a giant uh, icon of the pentacreter. And when we, we found out that the way the birds nested in there, the way they set up their nests actually helped the structure of the church not to deteriorate in such a way that they'd have to replace the whole structure. So I just wow. thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this. Can I segue for a second? This reminds me of the Holy Spirit with this yeah. bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, It just reminded yeah. me of that. Yeah, Yeah. no, totally. Uh, no, so just to bring it back, I think that, so especially during Great Lent, if we, if we you know, want to segue even further into this, um, Lent is that time of year where the Christian focuses his or her energies and, uh, you know, all your mental faculties basically on that more intense training and it's it's something that's very applicable to all of us again if we embrace these words that talk about how this life is meant to be one of training and then when we you know we're, we're continuously moving for all eternity closer to god but in the next life is when we enjoy the fruits of those things um but right now part of it is the struggle and uh that's something that orthodoxy has always affirmed um, perhaps more so than other Christian denominations. Yes, Christ is victorious, but we still have to realize our potential. You know, just like Luke did, right? So um, he had tremendous potential, but he had to go to Dagobah um, to realize that he wasn't just going to sit at home on, you know, twiddling his thumbs, <clears throat> uh, you know, on on Tatooine with his, you know, um, uh, land speeder or whatever, just kind of sitting there doing nothing. He had to go somewhere under the presence of, you know, a guide, someone who could coach him through it, and uh, and to realize what he was to become. And that's kind of a, I think that's a great metaphor for all of us, you know, with great Lent and, and just being Christians. We all have potential to become something greater, and, and Lent is kind of an affirmation of that, that we're not where we need to be, and we do need to refocus and and um, and, and hit it hard, you know, go to yeah, work. Absolutely. So it's great stuff. I mean, I, I would say, I know as in the Orthodox Church, we do not believe in purgatory. I would think our, as you're saying, our, our training, our trials and tribulations are here in this world. And, you know, that's how it, maybe we differ from, an, you know, that denomination. So instead of going to a place where then you're 
your trials and tribulations or a place of limbo, so to speak. You know, we're not in a state of limbo here. We're we're not activity, but we we are constantly being um, pushed to the next level, I guess, so to speak. And um, I guess that's where the term theosis comes in. We're trying to reach theosis. Excellent, excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, we, we do not have purgatory. Um, you know, there's no in-between place between heaven and hell, um, <clears throat> as is affirmed in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But uh, yeah, theosis is one of those concepts I didn't know about until, um, you know, until I went to seminary or right before when I was reading a book about it. But theosis is the is the kind of um, the act of becoming godlike, although it's even more than an act because it is a gift. Uh, it is not something that we, we can just do on our own. Um, as I've said in podcast episodes before um, with um, uh, the God and Comics podcast, we talked about this one time. But, um, yeah, it's not something that we just do on our own, but we do have to take steps towards it, and then God blesses it. And each each time, as cl- the closer we get, the, the more and more like him we become, you know? So um, becoming, um, you know, we hear in the epistles about moving from glory to glory. And, you know, St. Athanasios talks about um, becoming by grace what he is by nature. So... Yes, theosis is the, is the act of becoming more and more like God as we progress, more and more like Christ. Um, you know, as we as we kind of shed off the the um, imperfections of, of sin and all the things in this life. So, yes, absolutely, very much part of the struggle and, and part of the reward too. Plus, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do know enough of this to know from my being raised in orthodoxy that our view of sin or our martia is we're missing the mark to do better next time so it's a whole different concept than perhaps other denominations where you know we're on a path and if we diverge from that path let's get back to the target exactly exactly yeah we don't our we don't have quote unquote original sin as 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 it is coined by the roman catholics um, that came about from you know just kind of their their in the Middle Ages and maybe early Middle Ages, their kind of understanding of matter and kind of looking at everything in creation and the human body has fallen. We've never quite taken it that far. Um, we do believe that everyone has the propensity to sin and the temptation, the inclination to sin, um, you know, since the fall, so to speak, and until the second coming, that's going to exist. Um, but we don't believe that everyone has already sinned from the moment of conception. In fact, even St. John Chrysostom talks about, you know, uh, the only people who are sinless are these little ones that that haven't sinned yet. Right. He talks to children, you know. Although I I don't know if he's talking about my children, but that's beside the point. And I think we see that reflected in Star Wars ideology and in that religion of the Jedi is that you have the choice. You have the choice, and we in Orthodoxy have the choice. We've been given free will, so we don't have a predestination. Um, so you know, Yoda constantly infuses into Luke. Choose wisely. You know, don't give in to hate. That leads to the dark sides. Leads this. Now, in their sense, it says suffering leads to darkness. But it's kind of the same thing. We don't want to suffer to the point where you're all consumed. Suffer. There's different definitions of suffering. Suffering to the point of where it propels you to the next level of um, positivity or something that is fruitful. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite lines in that, and, and one that has helped me even in my journey, is. You know, when when Yoda instructs Luke, he says, "I want you to take your, I want you to take your ship out of the swamp." When the X-wing like sinks into the swamp, um, 
he's like Lucas all frustrated and he's like, How are we gonna get it out now? And he's like he's like, It's no different from lifting stones, basically, is what Yoda yeah. says. So he tries and he and he starts doing it for a little bit and then he fails and I mean he he the thing the ship sinks back under the water and he just goes back to Yoda and he says and he says, You want the impossible and just storms off. Then Yoda takes it upon himself to lift the ship out of the swamp himself very easily and place it there. Luke is totally dumbfounded, and he looks at he looks at the ship and he looks at Yoda and he's like, "I don't believe it." And Yoda's wonderful line yes. after that is, "That's why you fail." That is why you fail. You have to is, believe. Yeah. I don't. I don't believe it. That is why you fail. He says. So anyway, look. A lot um, of wisdom in Star. In Star lot Wars. of wisdom there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not so much in Star Wars fans, but yeah, a lot of wisdom in Star Wars. Well, I mean, in, in the uh, story <laughs> structure, especially the Jedi. I, mean, I think it's just brilliant the way it all brought it together. Um, oh, yeah. And I do feel like the original trilogy, not to get off the track here, I, they kind of got back to that with the new movies. They simplified the Force. In the prequels, they tried to really go in and explain midichlorian. I think that just kind of got away from everything. When they brought it back to the basics, um, I think that's the essence of the force that's the essence of what it's about it's not this thing we're going to explain scientifically it's a mystical uh force field that binds and and all life forms have it and you know that that i think that was the when they got too complicated and tried to explain it in ways of oh let's really make it cool uh it lost its um magic so to speak I agree. Even though Ray was a little too overpowered in the last one, but I thought yeah. it was, you're right. They did simplify it overall. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, just to just to kind of wrap it up. I mean, when I was so when I was at seminary, um, the image of Luke training definitely was one that was in the back of my mind, and I and I loved it. And it was yeah. one of those that kind of just kind of you know got me motivated a little bit. You know, just like Rocky training, maybe a topic for another podcast, but. Um, Luke training with Yoda was definitely something that I resonated with while I was at seminary, and I think that all of us can resonate with, you know, as as Orthodox Christians during Lent. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for sharing. I think that uh, that was a great story. I mean, there's there's so much more that we could go into, but you know, we want to try to keep it to you know somebody's commute time. So <laughs> <laughs> that's is true. Twenty or thirty minutes. So, so I guess yeah. we're on to trivia again, and this is that's Father. Good questioning me with three questions and uh let's see how i do <laughs> so um i'm gonna i'm gonna apologize from now chris because i i hope that in trivia even even in the trivia section our our listeners are learning something a little bit so if the topic is too hard i'm apologizing from now but it's just kind of stuff i gravitate towards myself so the topic today um because the first sunday of lent is the celebration, of course, it's the, it's the triumph of orthodoxy. It's the, called the Sunday of Orthodoxy, um, the restoration of the icons, which came after the, um, you know, of course, the, the, the church meeting and talking about the theology of icons. So we celebrate one of the ecumenical councils on the first Sunday of Lent. I figured that when this podcast comes out, um, we'll probably be uh, right around that time. So I figured the topic today could be, drumroll, Ecumenical councils. There you go. But <laughs> so a little, little theological, but let's see how we do. Okay, so I, but I'm apologizing if it's a little little too much. So in Orthodoxy, we believe in ecumenical councils, and we believe that they have been big parts of the church. First question is, how many ecumenical councils have there been in the Orthodox tradition? I believe seven. You are right. There have been seven, and the and the icons were restored after the seventh. So very good. In seven eighty seven, actually. Okay. That was the, uh, if I'm correct, the second council of Nicaea, right? 
Uh, yes, it was. Good for you, pal. Awesome. Okay, so maybe this isn't so over your head as much as I thought. <laughs> I need to give I need to give my podcast partner some more credit. Oh, thank you. Uh, second question, and this goes into a little bit more about Orthodox tradition and identity, uh, but we can get to that some other time. But the second question is, who convened the first ecumenical council? Well, wouldn't that be the first patriarch? Very, very close. It was actually Emperor Constantine. It, it was, was Constantine. Nice scene. The it, nice it was the first council emperor. Council. Yeah. So now, so here's the thing: when the Orthodox and the Catholics began uh, disagreeing. In terms of our theology, one of the things the Catholics pointed to is, why is the secular authority so involved in the church? You know, And they used the term Caesaropapism. In other words, they had a pope. We don't have a pope. But we had some kind of a, in their eyes, the emperor was too involved. From our eyes, um, obviously, there was, it, was, it was political as well, because Constantine was trying to recreate the Roman Empire. Um, and he was trying to recreate it with a new identity, and he wanted all the Christians to be on the same page without divisions and heresies, which one of the heresies that was around that time, and that's why the first council convened was, is Christ um, you know, uh, fully God and fully man, or is he part divine and part man, and this and that? Obviously, the church never... Uh, we always knew what it was, but they had to meet so they could clarify it. You know. Anyway, so Constantine himself convened the very first council he actually called for all the bishops to get together the bishops agreed and they came and they met and that was the first ecumenical council and that's also why all seven of the councils were in the vicinity of constantinople the queen city right so because the emperor always had a hand in facilitating the church to meet and discuss these things so that has been for better or worse part of orthodox tradition as well kind of a synergy right. between right. the emperor and the patriarch okay Last question, and uh, this might be a little bit uh, trickier, but we'll see. Okay. Which of the following saints was not present at an ecumenical council in their life? Uh, at least their life on this side of the kingdom, this, this side of uh, death. Uh, one, St. Athanasios. Two, St. John Chrysostom. Or three, St. Dionysios. I'm going to say Dionysius. You are correct again, sir. Good job. Bravo. Okay. St. Dionysius lived much later. The, the last ecumenical council in our tradition was the 8th century. I believe he was in the 14th century, 15th, okay. somewhere in there. So, yeah, very good. But he, he is a saint that is near and dear to our heart because it's close to where my dad uh, grew up in Greece. Oh. Yeah. And his relics are still on the island of Zakynthos. Anyway, Zakynthos, yes. Masterfully done. Masterfully done. Thank you. Well, you got one wrong. <laughs> Two, yeah, but you were really close. You were in yeah. the, you're in the neighborhood there, too. Yeah. So. Great. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode, and uh, we will be uh, posting this soon, and uh, on to our next, and hopefully uh, we'll be uh, well before Easter, so, uh, which is, what? what is the date this year for Orthodox Easter? The 14th of April? Um, 16th, I'm going to say. Let me double check. Now you're putting me on the spot. My parishioners know these things better than I do. They know the date from Easter from the year before. Uh, let's see. April... 19th for April 19th okay oh so Good Friday's the 17th my mom who's she's passed away 10 years but she was born on Good Friday April 17th yes so this will this that? is the year that her date her birth date falls on the day she was born yeah God, beautiful God rest her so well um, did you want to mention possibly or uh, or you want to wait till the next episode you might have some news we can wait till the next one okay all right. Nice, nice little tease there. Nice okay. Tease there. All right. Sounds good. 
So you'll have to tune in for the next episode to hear some information Father has. So, All right. Well, thank you again, Father. Uh, bless, uh, blessings to you and your family and your congregation. Uh, prayers as usual to everyone, for everyone. And um, hopefully everything goes smooth with your Lenten season and your parishioners. We are still in Shriyadhyan at this point, right? We're heading into... Uh, yes. 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 We're we're in, we're in the period called the Triodio, which is a which is a special hymn book. The three hierarchies we, that we break out um, that we break out right before Lent. So yeah, Kalisa Rakostias we say in Greek, which means blessed Lent to you and your family yes. as well. Same to you, Kalisa So have a great day, Bravo. and I will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks again. God Thank bless. You. God bless. <laughs>